You're listening to Self-Publishing Journeys, the weekly podcast for all new and aspiring self-published authors. Stand by for tips, resources, hints, and practical techniques to help you on your own self-publishing journey. Meet indie authors at different stages of their writing careers and hear how they manage to get their own books published and making sales. For show notes, web links, and useful resources, please head to selfpublishingjourneys.com. Now, here's your show host, self-published author and digital marketer, Paul Teague. Hello and welcome to Self-Publishing Journeys, episode number 70 for Monday the 3rd of July, 2017. John Heinmarsh writes thrillers and science fiction novels, sometimes with a crossover between the two. John is originally from Australia, he spent time in England, and now lives in California, where he writes full-time. Raised as a farmer, John studied for and qualified as a certified public accountant, then transitioned into an IT consultant. He has self-published several novels, writes short stories, and is a serious photographer. When I spoke to John, I asked why he'd waited until retirement before coming to self-publishing. I'm Australian, and um, in my teenage years, I wanted to write, but Australia was very acultural, if you like, in those days. And the thought of someone brought up on a farm going to write was just totally contradictory um, from a cultural point of view. So I didn't write. And I ended up uh, you know, being an accountant and uh, an IT consultant. And I retired and started writing. Had you ever tinkered? Had you had little short stories or anything like that? Yeah, I tinkered. I wrote a book years ago, um, and there's a long story to this. So I wrote it, typed it out, uh, put it in a box, as one does, and put it on a shelf. Uh, about six years ago, we were packing up to move from Australia to uh, to the US, and I came across this box. And it had been some years since I'd seen it, and I sat down and, and read it instead of packing. and thought there's a story here um it needs a hell of a lot of work but you know it sounds like something that i'd like to read and other people might like to read and i redid that totally from a to z um had it worked through by two editors here in the u.s self-published it and that that book is broken glass and broken glass got to um 63 this week on Amazon's um, paid book list. So it's now categorized as a bestseller. Fantastic. So that's a great achievement. Now, when you wrote that book, first of all, I'm betting things were a whole lot different from what they are now. You, you, were, you were typing. Um, did you yep. handwrite it first or was it typewritten straight in? I handwrote it and had someone type it. Wow, wow. Primitive, primitive. Doesn't it sound like years ago now that you would have to do that? Oh, absolutely. You know, it's uh, now I sit at a computer and hack away and I've got Dragon that I'm trying to learn to use. Uh, And you saw it just transcribed. So um, I'll end up using Dragon. We'll, We'll talk about Dragon in a bit. I just mentioned for people listening to this that as I'm talking to John on Skype, it's fascinating. I'm getting a transcript of everything we're saying. And, of course, we're not using Dragon correctly. We'll talk about that later. But it's fascinating to see our conversation coming out in text in front of my eyes. A little bit disconcerting, actually. I can see what rubbish I speak when I see Dragon, which is a bit <laughs> worrying. <laughs> so from those primitive days, the reason why I'm always interested to dig into that is because 
we have it easy these days, don't we? I mean, writing back then was a completely different prospect. Uh, it was. Um, you know, I've looked back on some of my handwritten notes and think, wow, I can't, I can't even understand my handwriting. So I don't know how the poor typists managed to uh, interpret everything. So was that a case then of everything coming together at once? I think you were... I think you were ready, about ready to retire then. You found the book. I guess self-publishing was around at that time. So was it was it lucky that that all came together at once? Well, what had happened, I'd heard about self-publishing and studied self-publishing and thought, I want to look into this more. I want to get into self-publishing. And my wife and I went to a conference in the UK and – Everyone there was, oh, no, I wouldn't self-publish. You know, we've got to find a traditional uh, uh, agent and a traditional publisher and wait two years for the book to come out. (laughs) And I thought, no, no way. And uh, I was debating uh, how to uh, approach writing and self-publishing, and I got offered an extension to the contract in Bangkok that I was working on. And so I went with that extension and whilst spending that extra year in Bangkok, studied self-publishing a lot more and learned about, you know, the the ebook structures and so on and so on and thought, okay, that's the only way to go. I'm not going to look for an agent. I'm not going to try and find a traditional publisher. If I can finish a book, have it formatted, and within a week have it up on Amazon and iBooks and so forth, why should I wait around for two years following the traditional path? And so I just closed off thinking about that traditional path and went totally self-publishing. And how was that first experience for you? I mean, you come from a, you're an IT consultant, or you were an IT consultant. So I'm guessing that the tech didn't worry you too much? No, that that didn't worry me at all. Um, It was a pretty straightforward approach. I, I, I adapted uh, project uh, structural approach to how I worked through my book and got the editing done and got the formatting done and so forth. So, uh, and the cover design, you know, the designer lived in New Zealand, the editors lived in California, the formatter lives in uh, Hobart, Tasmania. It's a strange international environment that we're in. But that's interesting, though, because if you did this, what was it, six, seven years ago, you said this was happening? Yep, yep. Um, you know, outsourcing then would probably have been in its infancy. I don't think there'd have been as much available as there is now. I'm just trying to think back to then. No, it would have been fairly early days for outsourcing then. So you're a bit ahead of your time in that respect. Yeah, but I think that's right. That now you can, uh, you know, sort of pick up resources all over the place. You You still have a problem finding good editors that you know understand your voice and so forth but um it it was a case of searching for people and uh uh i'm fortunate at the time that i i found the right people and uh, uh went forward with that first book so the first book then formed part of a trilogy is that correct yeah i I said, this is the first book of a trilogy without really understanding what a trilogy is. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, talk about amateur. Uh, And I wrote the second and third books last year and uh, finished off the trilogy. And this year I'm 
converting the trilogy concept to a series because I left the trilogy ending so that I could move into a fourth book. So, uh, you know, it, it will be now classed as a, as a series rather than a trilogy. Now, I've got to tell you, John, those covers are brilliant on that trilogy. Um, I write, I'm like you, actually, you and I both write sci-fi and thrillers. And I didn't, when, um, before I was doing my research for you, you and I came together over thrillers. I hadn't realised you wrote sci-fi. So I think they are brilliant covers. T- tell me about how you got those done. Well, I think I was just surfing the, the web and uh, saw some artistic work by a guy and thought, I wonder if he does book covers. And uh, I approached him and I think mine were the first covers that he'd done. He does art restoration and he does digital artwork and so forth. And uh, I said to him, hey, I want three covers. And, you know, we went back and forth as to, you know, what should be included in the covers and so forth. And um, he lives on the west of Scotland. Everything was done by email. And he produced some drafts. And I thought, wow, this is exactly uh, what I need to brand these three books as you know, a set as science fiction, as space opera, you know, it was a complete match of what I wanted. And uh, he went through the process and produced what I think were excellent covers. They're, they're stunning. It just excites me looking at them, which is what you want a book cover to do, to just conjure up that atmosphere that you're looking for. I think they are superb. Um, so congratulations on that. And um, Well, thank you. <laughs> presumably, I mean, that that's bespoke artwork, isn't it? Is that an expensive thing to do, John? Um, yeah, it, it's not cheap. I mean, I think they cost me about five or $600 each. Mm. Uh, so it's, it's an investment that you need to make, I think. Um, I've seen, I mean, before that I had someone trying to do the, the set book, the, the cover for the second book, and that was just coming back as unsuitable. You know, it looked rough. It looked uh, pasted together and so forth. And I was really struggling trying to resolve that until I found uh, uh, Mark Brady. And uh, he did an excellent job for me. So you had a gap, effectively, of, of 30-odd years between writing that first like, <laughs> pen and paper and a typewriter uh, you know, to, to, to then setting down to, to start writing again. So when you sat down to write again, you were using word processors now, you've got all sorts of tools at your fingertips. How, how did you find it when you sat down to start the next book? Well, I mean, everything I used, I'd been using in IT consulting anyway, you know, use, except Scrivener. Uh, I'd used Word and thought, okay, I'll, I'll use Word. But then a year or two later, I discovered Scrivener, which is, as you know, software aimed very much at writing uh, uh, novels or, or nonfiction scripts and so forth. So it's, it's less uh, uh, flamboyant than Word and a lot easier to, uh, to maintain. Um, so I just sat down using the tools that I'd basically been working with. And writing for you, are you a big planner or do you just throw yourself in and hope for the best? <laughs> um, I started as a see-the-pants writer, a pantser. Um, the, the challenge then was to get the book aligned. I always knew the ending and I knew the beginning and so it was a case of just you know writing the first chapter and, and building on from there. And I... That's how I did the uh, science fiction stories. It's how I did my 
before thrillers. The book I'm working on now, I sat down and spent a week planning it. And I think it makes a tremendous difference to your productivity. Do you use a tool to plan, John? Um, spreadsheet. Oh, yeah. Okay. So you don't use the inbuilt Scrivener uh, panels. I know a lot of people use those sometimes to plan. Yeah. I've sort of looked at that. The problem is I've sort of focused on Scrivener as a writing tool rather than a planning tool um, with with a, an Excel spreadsheet. I can be flexible about, you know, well, I want this column here and that column there, and I want to use that one for, you know, a, a brief outline of what should happen in this chapter. Oh, and I need the character name, so I'll put them here. Oh, and I need the location, so I'll put that here. So, you know, I just build a, a series of columns to match what I need. And uh, I work with uh, a printout of that beside me so that I can flip it over and say, okay, here's the chapter I'm working on. These are the characters. This is what I'm trying to do in this chapter. And it works a heck of a lot better. The problem for a new indie author is not just writing the first book and getting the cover and the formatting and everything. It's then, once it's listed, is, is it going to sell? So how did you start that process, getting that initial momentum going? Um, up till this year or up till late last year with difficulty, um, Broken Glass, when I first released it, got in the top 10,000 on Amazon, which I thought was pretty good. You know, it got to 8,000 something. Um, and I thought, oh, that's good. Um, and then I, I continued to write. So I've now written seven, eight books, uh, four thrillers and four science fiction books. And, uh, None of them, none of them really took off because I didn't know how to market. I, and I encountered a guy called Mark Dawson, who you probably have heard of, yes, yeah. who is a top thriller writer, and I think you'd class him as a marketing guru for the indie writer, for the self-published writer. So I had a good look at what he does and how he does it. And my website is an imitation of his website. Uh, you know, you you. Uh, you look at what works and you copy it. And so with the branding I did with the covers last year, because I rebranded the Thriller covers as well, and I used the cover designer that Mark Dawson uses for the Thrillers. Um, so I had uh, the fourth book in the Thriller series released in uh, October. I released the um, last of the trilogy um, last year, end of last year, and I released, no, sorry, I released the last of the trilogy this year and the second book in the trilogy last year. And I had about a 100 uh, newsletter subscribers, and I thought, okay, I've got to do something about this. I've now got 5,500 newsletter subscribers, and I did that by getting involved with promotions and swapping uh, 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 newsletter promotions with other writers and so forth, as as you know. And uh, as I said, I've now got about five and a half thousand subscribers. I went to um, a website called BookBub in January and said, this was the beginning of January, and I applied for a, a BookBub promotion for the first thriller. That's called Mark One. And they came back in two days and says, yes, uh, we'll promote it for you. Um, the date's the 30th of January. 
I thought, wow, that was sudden. And uh, it, it, I promoted it as a free book on BookBub. And I had about, in total, about 65,000 downloads of Mark 1, which was a pretty good score, I think. Yeah, that's astonishing, yeah. And then I thought, well, they did it once. Maybe they'll do it again. And so I put a, a request into BookBub to promote uh, Broken Glass, the first of the science fiction stories. And I did that as a 99-cent uh, promotion rather than as a freebie. And they came back and said, we don't have any uh, any spots available for the U.S., but we'll promote you in the U.K., Australia, Canada, uh, you know, their international scope. And I said, okay, let's go. And uh, for a while there, I was outselling, in the U.K., I was outselling my uh, sales in the U.S., which is a surprising turnaround. And then I thought, okay, I've passed the 30-day limit or whatever for for." a new uh, request on BookBub. So I sent in a request to do the, the U.S. promotion, and uh, they said yes. And so I uh, last week I did some newsletter exchanges promoting a science fiction book, and I, they promoted my, uh, Broken Glass. And then BookBub ran their promotion for me in the U.S. on Monday this week, and Broken Glass got to number 63 in the top 100, which uh, just blew me away. That was that was a bottle of champagne time. There. That's amazing. And um, you don't have to give us precise figures, but do you know roughly is that worth it in terms of uh, the income that you get from that? Is it a really good month? Oh yes, yes. Um, I mean, I recovered the direct cost of any uh, any bookbub. Uh, uh, charges but the the sales impact overall you know you get knock-on sales you you're more visible you 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 know your profile is out there your name's out there and uh your sales go up and so this year has been my best year uh, ever in terms of the last four or five years that I've been writing. And that's really interesting isn't it because broken glass is the first book you wrote and it's 6 years old now yet in year, you know, year six, year seven, you are earning more from it than you ever have done. Absolutely. <laughs> it, it's an oddity, but, you know, I suppose it's one of the advantage, disadvantage aspects of being a self-published uh, writer. You're able to control the marketing um, and you have to do the marketing. So, you know, there's a cost benefit there straight away. Um, but the branding, the cover, uh, and I went through it and tried to eliminate typos and that sort of thing as well. So it was a fresh version, really, last year. Um, I didn't publish it as a as a new book. It's still, uh, I think, 2011 is the, the published date on it. And, uh, you know, that is not a barrier to uh, getting it in the top 100, as we've just seen. Because if you don't know a book already, it's new when you find it. It doesn't matter how old it is. So, um, you know, that that's fabulous. And, and many books, of course, have stood the test of time. So I think there's just an important lesson in there that, you know, just because you wrote it five years ago doesn't mean you can't keep earning money on it. And it doesn't mean you can't have a breakthrough later on in your writing career with a, an older book. Yeah. 
I think uh, I think I've proven that at least in this instance. <laughs> yeah, and it's very reassuring. The other thing now, I haven't. I mean, your book bub story is not typical. I hope you realise that, in that most people, myself included, you know, try many many times and keep getting knocked back. So you've been very lucky with that. But um, for, for those of us, you know, paupers who've had to go settle for free booksy in the meantime, um, that that's my best promo tool at the moment until I can get a book bub. And I always find on free booksy that I I get really good results. Not nowhere near as good as a book. But actually, a promo, a paid promo, will keep my sales going for two to three months afterwards. Because when I've got a series, because they read through the series. Yeah, I find the same thing. And I'm fully aware of the difficulties that people uh, experience getting into BookBub. And I'm totally unaware why um, they've been so kind to me. I've effectively had three BookBub promotions this year um and other authors say hey i've been trying for two years and still haven't got one i i don't know the answer i gotta tell you i mean your covers are spectacular so um for the for the mark series you know the mark one's mark two series um or i should say the mark, uh, sorry the mark midway uh, thrillers is what i should describe them as uh you have very good covers on there and i know uh, you've used mark dawson's Cover designer for that. Now, again, these are all setting you back a bob or two, John. You know, this is, these are not cheap designers, are they? No, they're not. Um, you know, the cost is probably $500 uh, per cover. Um, and on top of that, you know, editing costs are not cheap either. But this is what you have to pay to get a product. You know, self-published writers need to realise that there are business. It's a small business, but they're a business and they have to invest in that business. They have to, they have, to have a brand. They have to have a product. They have to have product identification. Um, I think this all helps. They have to have a quality product. The, I still get comments from readers saying, hey, there's a typo on <laughs> page so-and-so. And I think, oh dear, <laughs> I think that one must have bred after I released it. <laughs> um, I'm sure the software goes through and randomly changes words on me. Well, I think Word um, does that. That's why I hate Word, because, you know, you, you can be sure that it's right when it leaves you, and I'm sure Word does it out of spite. Um, Scri <laughs> Scrivener less so, but I'm sure Word does. <laughs> oh, I'm convinced there's a bug in there somewhere that uh, changes words on you when you're not looking. Um, but you could keep reading, and... What people don't realise is that even traditionally published books have typos. You're more aware of them, I think, as a self-published author. And when you go and read a traditionally published book, you think, that's a typo, that's a typo. <laughs> so, you know, it's not just the self-published people who have to cope with this issue. Your um, thriller series books, again, the covers, I think, are fantastic um again when when you and i worked together on insta freebie i think you were promoting mark one there so i saw that cover in isolation but looking now as i am at your amazon author page and they're all lined up beautifully there well they look good don't they you must be proud of those oh uh, i think they're tremendous i i think the the designer um did an excellent job um he's i booked him for uh, my next design and I'll keep booking him for my thriller designs. I think for as long as I write thrillers, he did a damn good job. Yeah, absolutely. And the other thing you've done, 
which is always the clever thing for independent authors, is where you've got trilogies and you've got four books, you box them up and, and put a bigger price on them. Just talk, talk me through that. When, how early in, in your career did you do that? And, and how well does that work for you? Um, that's pretty much a late innovation. I could Obviously, I couldn't do the science fiction trilogy until I'd released the, the third book. So that was this year. And I do find that... Um, I get sales of the box set uh, um, quite often rather than the individual books. You know, the sales are worthwhile. And uh, when it's $7.99, um, it's a nice individual sale in terms of the uh, revenue that it generates. But at the same time, um, I was getting good buy-through um, in terms of people would buy Mark 1 and then 70% of them would buy Mark 2 and 60% of those would buy Mark 3 and so forth. So it was a, a pretty good sell-through. Um, and the box set seems to be working as well. Uh, one of the things I've tried actually recently with my thrillers is I've made, because um, I've got a trilogy as well, so um, a lot of people will buy book one. I've made books two and three available as a box set and one, two and three available as a box set. And I'm finding that's working well for me. So I've made it cheaper if you like book one, you know, to buy books two and three as a as a box set. But if you like me anyway, you'd buy the full box set of three books. And, and that's a little technique I've been trying and it's actually bringing in some sales. So it might, it might be worth a try that one. Oh, that's interesting. I hadn't thought of that, but yes, um, it's it's an interesting uh, approach. I'm looking forward. Uh, the book I'm writing at the moment is a thriller and the concept, which I'm not going to go into now, I'm saving that for marketing. Um, the concept is uh, quite comprehensive in terms of the, of the coverage that I have to do. And if I write it as one book, it's going to be you know, 200,000 words. Wow. And so what I'm thinking is, I could break that into three books or four books and make it a serialized thriller so that it reads like a serial rather than as a series. You know, a series, you have individual adventures in each book with the same characters, but a serial has a continuity to that adventure. And I'm going to try that and I'll probably release the first book as a 99-cent book. It may only be, you know, fifty or 60,000 words, but I'll release the second book a month after that and the third one a month after that, so it may not happen until later in the year, uh, but the subsequent books will be at the 299, 399 level, and they'll be clearly marked as a serial so that, you know, hopefully people won't get upset because they're not self-contained stories in each show. Uh, in each publication. Another thing I noticed looking at your Amazon author page is that you don't have a perma-free uh, book on there. You, you've got Broken Glass starting at 99 cents, and then you're moving uh, rapidly up into 3.99s and 4.99. So you're not scared with your pricing. You're not sort of pricing defensively. How, how does that pricing policy work for you? Well, it seems to work is the, the pragmatic answer. Um, I sort of save the perma-free approach for newsletter subscribers. So, you know, if we do a promotion that uses Insta Freebie, for example, to download books for uh, in return for a newsletter, then that's that's a free 
book. And um, I've got a collection of science fiction short stories that I use as a reader magnet. Um, so, you know, there's an organic growth of um, uh, subscribers from my website and they can get Mark 1 or they can get uh, the, the what I call the universe uh, short stories. Um, the There's the science fiction book I wrote which could be the beginning of a series, but I haven't developed it. So I have that as a giveaway for, for science fiction um, marketing, looking for newsletter subscribers. And Mark One, I give away in return for uh, uh, a newsletter subscription and or review. So I keep the, inst the, the sort of perma freebie, if you like, in the... Uh, marketing side for the newsletters and anything out on the resellers is full price and mark one's going back up to uh, 3.99 today it was marked down for the uh, bookbub promotion right so it's 3.99 on my screen at the moment so it must have come back i think already um yeah one of the things I, I forgot to check actually before we spoke is do you go wide or are you amazon exclusive Totally wide. Uh, my books are available on Amazon, iBooks, Kobo, Nook, um, Google. I think that's all of them. Yeah. How do you list so, those, John? Are you, are you using an aggregator like Smashwords or Draft? No, no. I'm direct in every case. Really? Yep. Wow, that's a lot of work. So you do this all yourself? <laughs> I, I, um, I was going through an aggravator aggravator <laughs> that says it all doesn't it <laughs> aggregator uh for for google play and apple because i couldn't be bothered but then i thought hang on i want to have some back matter in those books that's specific for each site um so i need separate books i'm, I'm not going to stuff around with uh, an aggregator uh i'm going to do them myself and so i do them Myself. And yes, you're right. With with eight books on five sites <laughs> or five different resellers, you know, and trying to uh, localize the content, uh, it's quite an effort. I mean, I think you're right. I, I absolutely think you're right. I think you should actually do it bespoke. But but I don't because I'm too lazy and it takes too much time. And also, I know that iBooks, the iBooks could be a bit tricky, can't it? Do, do, how do you get on with that? Yeah, Um they got a bit upset because in, in one of the uploads, so I'd had a, an Amazon link and they weren't too happy about that. So, um, but I found a product called Vellum, which um, is a, uh, an ebook formatting product. So I'd, I now don't send out my books to get formatted. I use Vellum and do it myself. And uh, I've, it's a lot more work. There's no doubt about it, uh, but you've, you're in control. You can, you know, be dynamic with your back matter. You can change links if you want to change links and so forth. But um, it's quite quite simple to do, and that's probably the IT side of me coming out. It's quite simple to do, and um, uh, it's probably more economical. 
Now that's very interesting that you just mentioned vellum there because uh, actually that is a bit of a game changer because when you use vellum, I use vellum, but I use it on a PC. Uh, I found a little workaround that allows me to use it on a PC and it outputs all of the files in the different formats. And, and it does, does it do iBooks? I'm, I must be, I'm blind to it because I'm not using it. I just go for my, my Amazon file usually, but does it do iBooks, vellum? It, do, it does iBooks, yeah. Oh, wow. It, it produces a version for each of the resellers. So that actually, I hadn't thought about that until you and I had this conversation, but that's a bit of a game changer, isn't it? Because um, I actually do think it's better to list directly. Also, because with Kobo, for instance, you get a much uh, better dashboard directly in Kobo. You can see your sales across the, the world. You don't get that in Draft the Digital. Well, that's right. Um, I mean, Draft draft to digital were helpful, there's no doubt about it, you know, but uh, if you want to be in control, um, you need to have something, a tool, something like Vellum, uh, uh, which is excellent for producing the different variations of the ebooks. Um, and as I said, it lets you localize. You can, you can change, uh, um, when you put a link in, you can nominate uh, different links for the versions that you're going to uh, generate. You've caused me to reflect here, John, because <laughs> <laughs> I use Vellum. You see, I'm fairly new to Vellum because as a PC user, I couldn't use it. Then I figured out a way to use it, and I, and I loved it instantly. I just fell in love with it instantly. And But I hadn't thought about listing direct because, as you say, it's always going to be better to adapt to the specific channel that you're listing on. It's always going to be better to do that. And with Vellum, that's the game changer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, I, I'm a Windows person, but I do have a Mac uh, laptop, so uh, I can use Vellum on the, the Apple uh, laptop, and uh, it saves me having to worry about uh, uh, hacking to get Vellum onto the uh, Windows environment. And you know, um, this is the other exciting thing. By the time your interview runs, actually, it might even be live. But Vellum are doing a paperback formatting version, which is coming out imminently at the time that we're speaking. Which is, I just, I'm so excited about it. It's not true. I think it's uh, they've announced pricing. So if they've got pricing, it must be uh, it must be close to reality. Uh, maybe beginning of June or something like that. Will you use that? That's an interesting question. I've um, I've got print books for for all the Mark Midway series, and for the uh, for the uh, science fiction series. But I'm I'm debating with myself whether there's any advantage to having print books. Um, they don't cost that much. Well, the cover you've got to pay a bit extra to get a, a print cover. Um, but in terms of um, Amazon, there's there's no real significant cost to having a print book, but it's a lot of mucking around. Do do we get value out of it? Um, and I'm not sure that I get value out of print books. I've started to do cheaper versions. So as you were alluding to just there, if you get a full paperback cover made, that's an added expense in terms of your, your design and actually usually a little bit of pain trying to get the spine aligned and, and perfect too. Um, but what I've, what I've done, because like I think most indie authors, we don't sell that many paperbacks, but I do want to offer it as a service. So what I've started to do is to slap the Kindle cover on and then just use the, the sort of the, the create space tool just to put a, a matching color 
palette on the the, the spine and the edge, and that means I can make them available, uh, you know, without a lot of hassle. Um, pr- pretty well, like I think places like Bookature do. You know, they they make it available, but they don't put all their energy into it. Right, right. That that's an interesting approach which I hadn't considered. I sort of thought. I don't want to try and work out what the spine width should be and so on and so on. So um, I pushed it off to cover designers to work that out. But at the same time, you know, the local uh, library has a friends of the library and I present to them, you know, once a year and the library has copies of my books and, uh, you know, people buy the paperbacks and so forth. But that's about the only uh, outlet that I have that, you know, really sells uh, the paperbacks. So um, it's it's on the – I don't quite know what to do about this list. <laughs> yeah. Now, you are, uh, you're in California, so you were saying that they go into the libraries there. Does that mean that Create Space is, is acceptable? It's not in the UK, that's all. Uh, now, what I do is uh, I go to the library and I say to the librarian, you know, the lady in charge, here's, here's my latest book. <laughs> And she, you know, puts it on the shelves and it gets lent out as uh, as one of the library books. So I'm not into a library distribution service. It's just the local library. Um, so, they, you know, the libraries will take the books at some point or other. And I think um, I think it's there's an opening there that's difficult to get into to open up. Joe Conrath, who's a self-published writer, you probably have heard his name. He tried to set up a library distribution service about three years ago, but it faded away. I think it got on the too hard list. Um, they'd accepted my books as, you know, suitable, but it it just disappeared. And uh, uh, the concept's good, but the uh, implementation of it seems to be difficult. So, so you don't get royalties for that, presumably. They're just on the shelves and it... And it- generates traffic and awareness of you or, or is there a royalty yeah. arrangement no with the local library it's just you know a donation by me to the library and it, it gets awareness gets traffic brilliant now i need to talk to you about dragon dictation because this little thing to my right here is, is uh, <laughs> has been transcribing our whole conversation and it's interesting because it's getting it wrong i know you've got to train dragon i've just bought but well, i bought dragon uh two months ago i have i have um, you've got to work yourself up to Dragon because it's not something that you just waltz into and it works. You've got to train it and, I think, commit to it. And I'm not ready to do that yet. I need to give it some time. I know you're further along, I think, than I am with it. How, how's it going for you? Well, I mean, I've done some training. I've read some uh, pages of work to it and so forth. And it um, it seemed to understand my accent, which is a strange accent, so I give it top marks for that. Uh, but then I tried to dictate the a chapter, you know, uh, creating the chapter as I went, you know, with the the new paragraph uh, uh, quote, you know, quotation mark, you know, comma semicolon, comma quotation mark, <laughs> and it just came back as a whole lot of rubbish. <laughs> oh dear! <laughs> so I've I've carried on. Uh, doing the the non-dragon approach for the book I'm working on. And I can do 2,000 to 4,000 words a day. So I'm reasonably productive when I focus. Um, Dragon should be able to 
do the 5,000, 6,000 words a day. But I've got to get a lot more discipline in how I think about my uh, uh, words that I want to see on the page. I've heard so many authors say that you've got to go through the pain barrier with it. And I, I liken this to when I bought a, a MacBook Pro and uh, I, all my softwares looked different. And I was just so busy at the time. I just needed it to work in the way that I understood it. And this is how I view Dragon, that it probably works brilliantly when you've actually tamed the beast. But until then, it's just going to interrupt your workflow process. And that, so therefore, many people will give it a try and then ab- abandon it as too hard. I, I think that's uh, pretty much the state. But, you know, I've bought a, a good microphone. I've got uh, the the uh, transcription version of Dragon, which allows you to take a uh, microphone and a uh, tape recorder, uh, using old terminology, uh, on a walk with you and dictate and come back and put the uh, the uh, uh, upload the file into the computer and say to Dragon, okay, transcribe that. And... Uh, if it works, if I can get it to work, it's going to be, using Australian terminology, it's going to be bloody marvellous. Um, <laughs> but the learning curve is pretty steep, so uh, yeah, I'll get there. I'll get there. Yeah, the, I do think the problem is, is that you, you, know, you just want to get the darn book written, and, and, and at first, Dragon's going to stop you doing that. And uh, I'm, I'm in exactly that position. I need to get a certain number of books written this year, so I can't step off the roundabout yet. To, to, to use Dragon, but I will try and schedule time, I think, to do that. Yeah. Yeah, I've, I've got the feeling that that becomes an excuse rather than a reason, so I've got to overcome it, you know, but um, if the productivity is there, it's worthwhile spending, for example, a solid week doing nothing else but dictating to Dragon and uh, training it and training me. And, and that's very true, I think. And the other thing I forgot to ask you is, um, is your use of Dragon motivated by a need for greater productivity or do you have a, any kind of limb discomfort using it for those kind of reasons? Um, it's productivity. Yeah. I, I don't have RSI or, or any uh, any problem like that. I've got arthritis, but <laughs> that's a different story. <laughs> Does that cause a problem uh, as a writer at all? Um, no, not really. It's The problem is sitting at a desk too much. Um, and so I go for, I'm right next to a forest area, so uh, I'll go for an hour's walk amongst the trees. Now, it would be nice to use that hour and dictate and come back with, you know, an hour of dictation and uh, upload it into the computer. Um, that'd be two to 3,000 words. So I've got to get there. <laughs> <laughs> Now, we touched on marketing earlier, and uh, you and I first encountered each other on one of my Insta Freebie giveaways. And I'm um, very, very excited about Insta Freebie because uh, you, you alluded to it earlier. You said that you had a subscriber list of 100, and now you're over 5,000. And I've been at this game f- for a while, and I've never found anything like it for, as an author for building an email marketing list. How, how did you first discover Insta Freebie, and how quickly did you get results from it? Uh, pretty much straight away. Um, I think the first promotion, I added about 800 subscribers. And I thought, wow. <laughs> um, so, you know, having reached, I almost reached 6,000. Um, the, the issue, there's two issues with the process that I see. The people who subscribe 
subscribe for a free book and they build up a library of free books, will they ever come back and actually buy a book that's going to cost them 99 cents or 2.99 or 3.99 or 4.99? Now that's an unknown. I I don't know the answer to that. When I was running the the BookBub promotion, I sent an email out to the newsletter to the to the newsletter list and I said, "Hey, we're almost at, in the top 100. Help, you know, how about as a team we have some support?" And I got two or three hundred people clicking through to Amazon. Now, whether they actually bought Amazon or whether they bought the book from Amazon or whether they were just clicking through to have a look, I don't know. Um, but it, it was interesting to see a reaction, but I just couldn't measure whether they actually bought books because, you know, the, the whole BookBub promotion was running. So the the crunch will come when I release a book, a new book, and I say, right, I'm going to have it there for 99 cents for the first day or for the first two days. I'm not going to let anyone else know about it. Go and buy my book. <laughs> now, if I get sales, then, yes, the process is working. Um, and until I do that, I don't know what the full benefit is of those newsletter subscribers. My impression of Instafreebie is I'm, I'm telling authors when I'm doing talks that I think that as a, as a complete novice, you can pretty easily get from zero to 5,000 subscribers. But I do feel that the giveaway market, the number of giveaways available to us is, is fairly limited at the moment. And so therefore there becomes a point about four or 5,000 subscribers when you feel like you're beginning to recycle the same old people. Is that your, is that your experience of this as well? Well, it's my suspicion. I can't prove it. Um, and what I want to do in future is join in with a limited number of authors, no more than eight or 10. You know, you see a 30 author swap or a 50 author swap. And I think that's just overwhelming the, the uh, uh, potential subscriber because it becomes a random crapshoot at that point. Uh, but I think if you've got seven, eight, nine, ten 10 authors, then the potential newsletter subscriber, the new subscriber can see all those books and read some of the details um, you know, if there's a bit of text with each book and it becomes a more measured uh, decision rather than a random decision when they decide, yep, I'll download uh, Paul's book or I'll download John's book. Um, so I'm going to try and focus that way and see what happens. Um, and I think try to join in with different authors, so not use maybe have one or two who are the same authors, but then try and get seven or eight who are authors that haven't been involved in a prior promotion with you so that you're broadening or widening uh, the subscriber base that you're appealing to. Yeah, I, I agree with that. It's, it's interesting because you, you've been, you've taken part in two of my giveaways now. The first one we had 35 people on over seven days. And the way I do my giveaways is I rotate it so that everybody gets their book at the top during the week. Um, to give everybody a fair crack of the whip. And then you were also in my second giveaway 
where I think it was 15. So I, um, it was three on a row. And again, I rotated it over the course of a, of, of a week. And, um, now I, I don't think you did so well in that 15, um, event. I found it hard to get people with lists over 5,000 subscribers. Very, very hard to fill that event, uh, was a problem for me. But also some people in that event, I don't think you, you're one of them, but a couple of people got 1,400 subscribers out of that event, which is a phenomenal. Yeah. Event. I, that's an excellent number. I, I'd love to get, you know, over a thousand subscribers out of a promotion. Um, I think I got, I can't remember, but six or seven hundred, I think, out of the last one we did. Yeah, which, uh, we, which we shouldn't stick our nose up at, but people, oh. <laughs> some, you know, uh, you, see, you, you, you had one of the strongest covers on there. Okay, so, so you had a really strong cover, one of the best covers on there. So I would have expected you with 15 people to do better than that. And I was surprised, actually, when you told me those numbers. Yeah. Um, I thought it should have done better as well, but you know, that's the way, that's the way it goes. Uh, but you, you're quite right, you know, to get 600, 700 subscribers. This is damn good. So uh, don't complain. No, well, I always say when I, my first year of internet marketing, which would be 2009, 2010, it took me a year to get my first 25 subscribers, which is why I'm just so excited about InstaFreebie um, as, as, as a tool for brand new authors. Because I think if you are, you know, it's your first book, you have zero audience, it takes you right to the heart of your readership, and you could really start shifting some copies. and. You know, most people without a clue about marketing list a book and nothing ever happens, and that's it. It just dies. It just withers on the vine, dies. Um, so it's yeah. it's very strong prospect, I think. I, oh, I I agree. And you know, when I um, when I started the the marketing process to get more newsletter subscribers, I emphasized quite a lot in some of my broadcasts. Hey, put a review on. Put a review on. When you buy a book doesn't matter which author put a review on Amazon. And I went from 25 reviews on Mark 1 to I think I've got 130 reviews or something now. Yeah, it's uh, 128. I'm looking enviously at it, yes. Yeah, yeah. Well, that was that growth of 100 reviews happened as a result of asking the newsletter subscribers to put reviews in. That's interesting. <laughs> It's very interesting because that's you know at 128 you're averaging four and a half stars. That then becomes a very compelling prospect. It becomes a very safe bet with that great cover, those great reviews, and that number of reviews. Yeah, it, yep. you know, there's no risk there really, is there? If you're going to go and buy it, that's yeah. And you know it's quite rewarding because you you get some amusing reviews, but but getting a 4.4 4.5 uh, average is, is is quite heartening. Yeah. And, and what about the craft of writing, John? Because that, if you're getting that those kind of reviews, that sort of presupposes that you did a pretty good job of it. So, so how how do you learn the craft of writing to make sure these books of yours are going to get those kind of reviews? That's it's a challenge to answer. I'm a I'm a voracious reader. You know, I've read science fiction stories, whether it was War of the Worlds or whatever, when I was probably. 11, 12 years old. I tried to write science fiction when I was 12 years old. Um, and I think that reading so much, you become subconsciously aware of what makes a good story because you you know that, uh, okay, the story drags 
you in, that keeps you reading, it keeps you turning the pages and so forth. And I think subconsciously you become aware of, of how that happens and why that happens. Um, I've learned a lot, I must admit, over the last six years in terms of, you know, what I'm trying to do with a book compared with where I was when I wrote that first book. Um, but it's it's subconscious more than conscious. It's, you know, the the characters start to take control. <laughs> Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> the story starts to take control and you think, where the heck did that come from? You know, it's a it's something you hadn't thought of. It's a piece of dialect, a dialogue that you weren't thinking of, and it's there and you think, wow, and you keep going. Um and I I it's not forced, you know, it it I think if you force it that becomes obvious, but um it's not forced, it flows. So that's the best I can say. Yeah, I call that trusting emergence. It's funny. I just just today I've been trying to to plot ahead with the story. Like like you, I I write story beats for the the day before I write, but I don't like to plan too far ahead, even though I know it's going to end. And um, I find that if I'm stuck, if I just keep writing those characters, they tend to write themselves out of that hole. In that the the action almost dictates itself at a certain stage. Yeah. I think that's what happens. And certainly that's how I feel. And I'll I'll end a chapter and I think, wow, that's a good ending. Yeah, <laughs> yes. uh, but it, it isn't forced. It isn't sort of, uh, uh, it's organic rather than artificial, if you know what I mean. Yeah. And you've told me already that you, I think you read and you follow uh, Mark Dawson. And Mark is obviously a big fan of Facebook ads and Amazon ads at the moment. Have you tried any of those, had a little dabble? I had a little dabble with Amazon, and I've made a profit out of my small spend on Amazon. Um, I'm taking next week um, to focus on Facebook ads, so I'm not writing next week. I've, I've reached a, a uh, milestone with the current work, so next week I'm taking a break, and I'm going to develop a series of Facebook uh, ads and I'm going to see what I can do and can't do with Facebook. Do you have Mark's course? Yeah, yeah, I've got I think all the material that Mark's released and the courses that he's produced. So you will then be using Facebook um, if you use it the way Mark uses it to build leads. Now interestingly I, I did it the other way around from you. You used Insta Freebie first and um, and I started with Facebook ads first. So, um, you know, I was looking at the kind of prices. I And I always say to people, I just might be lousy at Facebook ads, you know, when, when I talk about these prices. But I was paying, you know, 50 pence in, in the UK um, to a pound for a lead, which seemed quite high to me, and then sending them to box sets to try and make money on them. So when I found Instafreebie and found I was getting leads for less than a cent a time, this is what really excited me, having come back from Facebook leads. So it'd be interesting to see how when you start with Facebook, you, you sort of feel about the prices. It's going to be a challenge. Uh, I want to do both. I want to try to get some uh, subscribers. Um, I want to see if there's a different um, classification of subscriber coming from a Facebook ad. Um, I've got, uh, because I've got the 5,000 plus subscribers, I've generated lookalike audiences. So that that's going to be a part of my uh, strategy is to use the look-alike audience approach. But I also want to try selling. Um, I've got some um, 
on my website, there's some pass-through pages that I can use for uh, for Mark One and for the box set and for Broken Glass and the box set. And I want to see what happens with each of those in terms of sales um, by spending some money on Facebook. Do you make your own website, John? Are you, do you do that techie stuff? Um, no, I designed it and then found developer to uh, to produce it. Are, are so, you reasonably confident delving into it, though, as a... As a yeah, I, I, I wrote a, an HTML website years ago, um, but I prefer not to. <laughs> well, the, the only reason I'm saying is that um, one of the things I found as a Insta Freebie giveaway host is when I was doing those giveaways, I put the Facebook pixel onto the page, and I have developed then a targeted audience on Facebook of about seven or 8,000 crime and thriller readers as a result of organising those giveaways with everybody. And, um, and and I'm beginning to target now that audience through Facebook. So right. I, I found that a really interesting strategy. If you could do the website yourself and you could put the pixel code on. And um, yep. it's just something to bear in mind when you're doing your Facebook ads, because you'll do all the pixels and the audience building and things like that, that actually you know, using InstaFreebie to create the targeted reader list is, is quite a nice little tool. It, it built me an audience... Well, over over fourteen days of eight thousand targeted crime and thriller readers, which is um, you know, actually I thought again was a really good benefit from using Insta Freebie. Yeah, yeah, no, that sounds good. Uh, um, I mean, obviously, I've got the pixel structure in place, and uh, I want to see what that gives me in terms of uh, metrics back. Um, but the it's a brand new exercise from my point of view, and uh, I'll be running that or starting that next week and trying to think of cop advertising copy and so on and so on and so on so there's loads to do and i need to have a word with you john because you're supposed to be retired aren't you and uh, <laughs> do you know what retirement means because i think you're working all the time aren't you? <laughs> yep <laughs> oh dear <laughs> retirement <laughs> But, it, I mean, but it's good fun work, isn't it? I mean, but you must be putting a lot of hours into this. You're taking this very seriously. Oh, I, it's a business. You know, I'm working 40-plus uh, uh, hours a week on this. You know, by the time you add in the research, the marketing, the, the uh, planning, training dragon, yeah. <laughs> uh, um, reviewing what I've written. I do a lot of self-editing before it gets to the editor. So, uh, you know. It's it's hard work, uh, but it's enjoyable. It's what I want to do. And ultimately, what is your aspiration as an author? Do you want to see films? Is that your aspiration? Are you happy to write more? <laughs> what, where do you want to be? Uh, I suppose uh, from a financial reward point of view, it would be nice to get a film. Um, I haven't thought of that, haven't you know, delved into that. Uh, the editor I'm currently using sent one of my books off to a Hollywood agent um, probably six months ago, someone she knew, and suggesting that, you know, I was an author that he could probably uh, follow. Haven't heard anything back from that. <laughs> uh, but I've, I've got about 10 to 15 books to write that I know of at this point. And so I've got to write them. Otherwise, the muse that's sitting on my shoulder is going to get very upset with me. <laughs> so retirement is a long way off then. 
<laughs> a long, long way up. Thank you for listening to this week's self-publishing journeys. If you enjoyed the show, please consider sharing it with your indie author friends. Or you can leave a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or whichever podcast directory you use. In the meantime, you'll find previous interviews and all the show notes at selfpublishingjourneys.com. Thanks again for listening. We'll have more great self-publishing tips for you next week.